As we continue our study, we discover God's plan for believers to serve in the body, walk in the unity and come to a place of spiritual maturity which is simply growing into Christ's likeness. We briefly discuss the five-fold ministry and their role in equipping believers to serve, bring unity and bring believers into maturity. Okay. Uh, we're going to get ready to make our declaration this morning. I want us to, if you don't mind, just turn our Bibles very quickly to Proverbs 18th chapter. Uh, and we'll just read a very familiar verse there, Proverbs 18 and verses, verse 21. As we get ready to make our declaration this morning, Proverbs 18, verse 21, it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So God's, in His great grand design of this universe, of us as individuals, of everything that He's put in place, one of the things He's done is, He said, I'm placing power in your words, in what you say. So that's the way He's designed the whole thing, right? Just as we recognize other laws around us, whether it's laws in nature uh, or laws in relationships and so on, one thing, God's put, one thing that God has put in place is He's placed power on our words. And he says, death and life are in the power of your tongue, meaning your words. Our words carry that much impact upon our own lives. Death and life is in the power of the tongue. And those who love it, those who handle it carefully, will enjoy it. fruit. So we must learn to train ourselves to speak words that bring life. Even when you feel don't feel like it. Speak words that bring life. For your own self, and of course for others around you, speak life, right? So even when you don't feel too good about things in your own life, speak words that will bless. Speak words that will bring life. Because your words carry power. God designed it that way. So what we do every Sunday morning is we train ourselves with this little declaration. It's a very short, sweet statement of some of the things we believe, some of the things God has done for us, and we just get us to repeat that. But don't just do it on Sunday mornings, do it wherever you are. And you wake up in the morning and you don't feel up to the mark, you say, no, I'm going to say what I say in church on Sunday. I am blessed, I'm redeemed, I'm victorious. So you can do that at home as well, right? And some of us can do it in sleep, we've said it so often. <laughs> wake up, what's the declaration? Oh, and out it comes, right? But say those things. Speak life over your own words. Bless your own world because God has placed power in your words. Let's stand up to our feet as we make our declaration this morning. Let's say this out loud, bold and strong together. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word. I believe His word. And I live by His word. Christ is my master. And to Him, I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Shake hands, please, with the person next to you. If you don't know who they are, just exchange your names. Tell them hello. Glad to see them. You may be seated. We're continuing our study in the book of Ephesians. And this morning we're going to be in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. 
and uh, what we've discovered is that trying to finish or complete an entire chapter in 45 minutes is becoming very difficult. So today we're only going to do half a chapter. Right? So we're just going to cover Ephesians chapter 4, this verses 1 to 16 is all we're going to do this morning. And so we'll do half a chapter each Sunday so we can, you know, uh, spend more time delving into uh, the scriptures and the word of God and so on. Uh, just as an announcement, this coming week or this week, uh, we are having two conferences. One is happening in Nasik. That's on Tuesday in Venezik, our Christian Leaders Conference. And then on Thursday and Friday, we'll be having a conference in Mumbai. Uh, so I just want to uh, just, just back us up in prayer as we are there ministering. It's for Christian leaders. We have, we have about 350 people registered in Nasik. In Mumbai, there are about 550 uh, leaders registered, but that might go up to the expecting 750 leaders. Um, and in both these conferences, we're talking about revivals, you know, the series that we did at the beginning of the year. So we're sharing that with people in those two cities, uh, just trying to encourage churches, pastors, leaders also to press in to make this journey to revival. So remember that uh, uh, this week, if you just back us up in prayer, that'd be great uh, just to make us a blessing there to the leaders in those cities. Let's read this entire passage, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16, and then we're going to uh, draw insight from that. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, of this he, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who ascended is also the one who, who, he who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men in cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by, by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. All right, it's a great passage. We're going to enjoy it this morning. Uh, just to quickly re recap, and I'm prophesying, we're going to enjoy it. <laughs> no, we are going to enjoy it. Okay, uh, just to quickly recap, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. Um, he spent three years there establishing this church. This was on his third missionary journey. Uh, this was between AD 58 to AD 60. It was three years in Ephesus. Ephesus is a little seaport town on the east coast of Turkey. He's been there, established this church. Then he's moved on. And uh, at this point, when he's writing this letter, it's about three years since the time he left Ephesus. And he's now imprisoned in Rome. He's under house arrest. 
solid Roman guards all around him. He spends about two years under house arrest. And during this period of time, he writes four episodes. One to the Ephesians, the Philippians, to the Colossians, and also to Philemon. He writes these four episodes. They're called the prison episodes. And so we looked at what he wrote. In chapters 1 and 2, he talks about our life in Christ, how amazing it is. That because we are in Christ, we are blessed, we are redeemed, we are, uh, we are adopted into God's family, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, and, and many wonderful things. He, he talks about our life in Christ in chapters 1 and 2. Chapter 3, which we saw last Sunday, uh, he talks a little bit about his own ministry, how God has called him to be a, a minister to the Gentiles and so on. So we pick up in chapter 4 as he continues writing to the group of believers. So imagine he's writing to you and me. He's bringing revelation, which he said, I've received directly from the Lord, and I'm passing it on to you. So imagine Paul is writing to you and me, and he continues in chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. Now, you know, Paul could have said, I'm a prisoner of Rome. The Romans have imprisoned me. Or he could have said, man, these bad Jews, they put me in prison. He says, it's not the Jews. I'm not worried about the Romans. I am a prisoner of the Lord. I mean, that's how he saw his old situation. You know, we sometimes put the blame on everybody else. The Jews, man, they put me in this mess. Or the Romans. But he sees something greater, higher. His calling is so significant. He's saying, you know, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I'm in this place, but I'm here for him. I'm seeing something greater, grander, bigger than what these people are doing to me. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. And then he's saying to the believers there, I beseech you, I'm requesting you. When you look at the epistles of Paul, there are about 20 times when he beseeches people in his letters. He says, I beseech you, meaning I am lovingly, gently requesting you, encouraging you. But there are four times he says, I command you, brethren. So most of the time he requests people, but then if they don't listen, what do we do? <laughs> we say, look, guys, this is it. You know? we have, there are times when you say, you know, uh, this has to be done. But most of the time when we're working with people, we say, look, I request you. Could you do this? I beseech you. I'm requesting you, therefore, brethren. He says, I want you to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now, remember chapter 1, verse 18. He says, I want you to know your calling. I want you to know. I'm praying that God will give you understanding. Have knowledge about the hope of your calling. That's one thing. But now in chapter 4, he says, I want you to walk worthy. So not only must we know what God has called us to, which he talks to us about in chapters 1, 2, and 3, but now he says, I want you to walk worthy of that calling. Walk, meaning everywhere. The, the word walk, uh, it, it's, it's like live your life this way. Live a life. Everywhere you go, wherever you move, live a life that's worthy of your calling. And then he tells us how to live a life that's worthy of that calling. And we read verses Two and three, here's how you live a life that's worthy of what God's called us to. He's called us to be his children. He's called us into all these amazing things. But you saw in chapters one, two, and three, here's how we live worthy of that. You live it by, verse two, you walk with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Verse three, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So here's how you and I walk worthy of being God's people, of being citizens of the kingdom, of being covenant people. Here's how you walk worthy. He says, I want you to walk with humility. I want you to walk with gentleness. You know, be gentle, be kind. Don't be you know, rude, harsh. No, be gentle. I want you to walk with patience, long-suffering. Patience, be patient. 
forbearing one another, meaning put up with one another, forbearing with one another. And then he says, endeavoring to keep or maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That means whatever you do, do it so that you maintain unity by you choosing to walk in peace. So how do I walk worthy of the Lord? Walk with humility, walk with patience, walk with gentleness, learn to be forbear with one another, put up with each other. Okay, you know, not everybody's like me. Not, you know, we're all different. So you forbear with one another, put up with each other. And also make choices that will strengthen unity by you choosing peace. So when somebody says something to you, you could retaliate and you can aggravate the situation. So you're not creating peace, but you're aggravating it. But when you say, you know, my response is I'm going to choose peace so that I can maintain unity. Are you with me? Choose peace. Do what will bring peace into the situation and what will foster or strengthen unity, endeavoring to keep the unity to the bond of peace. This is how you walk worthy of the Lord. But now why can you do it? Why is it that he's calling us to live this kind of a life? He goes on then in the next few verses to identify seven commonalities between all of us as believers. Seven things he points out. He says the reason we can walk like this, the reason we can endeavor to maintain unity in the bond of peace is because, here look, verse 4, there is, say it out loud with me, there is, how many bodies? One body. Next. Next. One hope of your calling. Verse 5. Next. Next. And one God and Father of all. So he says, you know, look, there is only one of all of this. And he identifies seven things. He says, look, for all of us, it is one faith. Or starting with verse 3, there's one body. We all belong to that one body of Christ. Now you may call yourself Baptist. You may call yourself Pentecostal. You may call yourself Methodist or whatever you want. Put your label on. But if you're a believer, born again, washed in the blood, you belong to one body. That's it. There's only one body. And there is one, one, uh, what's the next one? One spirit. There is no Baptist spirit, Pentecostal spirit, charismatic spirit. There's one Holy Spirit. So if you're a believer, doesn't matter under which building you are sitting and doesn't matter what banner you put, it's the same Holy Spirit. One, one body, one spirit, one hope of your calling. We've all been called to the same thing. We're all blessed. We're all justified. We're all adopted in the family. We're all redeemed. Everything is one. One hope to which we've been called. And he says, we have one Lord, same Lord Jesus, one faith. We believe in him. One baptism. Now, we know there are three baptisms in the, in the, in the Bible overall. In Hebrews 6 and verse 2, he talks about the doctrine of baptisms. So there is water baptism, there is Holy Spirit baptism, and there is a baptism into the body of Christ. There are three baptisms. But here he's talking about one baptism. There's one water baptism. We're all baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. One baptism. Right? So we, it's the same thing. We're all baptized uh, in the same way. One God and Father of all. So we all have one God, one Father, who's Father to all of us as believers. And He's the one who is above all. He's the one who's working through all. And He is the one who is in all of us. It is only when we don't understand this that we start fighting with each other. I'm better than you. My church is better than you. But when you understand, look, it's one body, one spirit. One faith, one Lord, one Father. It's okay. 
you want to call yourself by some name, I, we call ourselves this. But I can sit down and I can still have fellowship with you. I can still love you. I can still relate to you. Amen. And yes, we all have our little differences. Some people worship softly. Some people make a lot of noise. <laughs> some people lift their hands. Some people hold it at half mass and some people don't. <laughs> I mean, we may all have different ways, different styles. That's okay. Doesn't matter. But we have all this in common. And therefore, I can, walk, I can learn to walk in humility. I can learn to be gentle. Because look, none of us are better than the other. We're, we're part of the same body. So we can walk. We can endeavor to keep unity in the bond of peace. Amen? So he says, I want you to understand this. You know, uh, I personally have the opportunity to move with leaders uh, from different denominations, different groups of people. Even in Bangalore, we meet once a month. We invite all pastors, all denominations. So the invitation goes to close to 600 people, leaders in our city. Uh, we invite them all. Come, sit down, talk. No one is greater than the other. And it doesn't matter what your background is. If you believe in Jesus Christ, born of God, that's it. We're together. Or when you work at the national level, uh, uh, interacting with leaders of different churches, organizations, sit down and talk and interact. It's okay. You know, we put all our differences aside because we all have, we're part of the one body, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, all, all this. You know, we, we have small differences, but look, we are one body in this nation. We are one spirit, one Holy Spirit working through all of us. So when you have the, un, that understanding, you can hold hands with one another and, and, and work together. Not see anybody better or lesser than you. Just that God is working differently uh, through each of us. So he establishes that and then now he begins to talk about the body itself. So he starts, he shifts uh, focus beginning in verse 7. So he starts this way. He says, let's start talking about the individual people in the body. Verse 7. But to each one of us are to every one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. To each one means everyone. So put your hand up and say, this, that includes me. To each one, to each one is given grace. Christ has given you grace. Grace has been put upon your life. To each one is given grace. And this grace is connected to the gift or gifts Christ has placed in you. Each one is given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. The grace on your life is related to the gift that God has placed on your life. Are you with me? We saw last Sunday from chapter 3 and I think it was verse 11 where Paul says, I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God by the effective working of his power. So he said, what you become in life must be aligned to the gift of grace he's put upon you. That's when you will have the effective working of his power. So here again, you see Paul repeating something. He's saying, to each one of us, every person sitting here, grace has been given. God, Christ has put grace on your life according to the gift, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Christ has placed a gift in your life. Now, when you read Paul's epistles, you'll find certain truths that are repeated, that he repeats to different churches. So some of the things that he writes in Ephesians, you'll find them, they're also repeated in Romans, and they're also repeated in Corinthians. For instance, this truth in Ephesians 4, 7, Paul repeats that in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. As he writes to the Romans, he says this in Romans 12, 4 and 6, if you want to turn there, you can look at it. He says that as there are many members in one body, 
and all members do not have the same function, so also we, having gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. So now in Romans, he's talking about your function in the body, and he says, you've been given gift according to the grace. Ephesians 4, 7, he's saying you've been given grace according to the gift. Doesn't matter which order. The point is, there is grace and gift placed in your life, everyone, in order for us to fulfill the function that Jesus has in the body. Are you with me? So say this with me, just to make sure you got it. I have grace, I have gift to fulfill my function. He's put it on you already. There is grace, there is gift, and there is a function in the body for everyone. Now, some of us thought that all I need to do is to go to church on Sunday, mark my attendance, and that's enough. That's not it. There is grace, there is gift, and there is on your life. Everyone. See, verse 7 is slightly different from verse 11, which we will come to. In verse 11, he says, to some he has given. But in verse 7 is, to everyone there is grace and gift in relation to your function. Now let's also say this. He says that according to the measure of the gift, which means there are different measures of the same gift. Example, many of us here teach the Bible. We teach God's Word. So also, Joyce Meyer. But there's a slight difference in the measure of the gift, right? She teaches the Word. Many of us teach the Word. Same gift in operation. We're teaching the Word. But the measure of that gift is hugely different. The scope the impact, and the anointing of that same gift is hugely different. Are you with me? So the Bible says, unto each one of us is given grace according to the measure of Christ. The grace upon your life is in proportion to the gift. But here's the good news. In God's kingdom, we can all increase in grace and gifts. Ask Joyce Mind, she'll tell you. That when she started, several years ago, maybe a few decades ago, she started initially by teaching a small Bible study in her local church. She didn't have Joyce Meyer Ministries at that time. It was just teaching a little Bible study in her local church. She was teaching. So that was the measure of grace and the measure of the gift on her life at that time. And none of us knew her name. But as time went by, as she continued in the principles of increase in God's kingdom, you see where God has put her today. The measure of grace and the measure of that gift has significantly increased so that now she impacts nations. The point is in God's kingdom, no matter what measure of grace and gift is upon our lives, there is always room for growth and increase. And there are principles here that will help us increase. Uh, I'll just mention some of them to us. Faithfulness. Jesus said this, you know, in, and when he talked about the parable of the talents, he said, you, you have been good and faithful in little things. I will say to you over many things. So faithfulness in that little thing will bring position you for increase. A proper stewardship, that means you take care of what God's given you and you use that. You nurture what God's given you will position you for increase as you properly steward. Take care of the gift and the grace that's on you. First Peter 4.10 says we, are, we should be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The grace of God that's put on your life. 
be a good steward of it. He'll bring increase. Number, uh, another area, another principle of increase in God's kingdom is submission. That when you work well under God-appointed leadership, that positions you for increase. In Luke 16, 21, Jesus said, if you're faithful, Luke 16, 12, sorry, if you're faithful in what is another man's, he will give you what is your own. Another important principle of, of, of increase is to glorify God. As you focus on glorifying God, he sees that, he honors that, and increases that. In my own life, when I was a teenager, I used to write letters. In those days, we had inland, inland letters and cards. You know, we didn't have SMS, WhatsApp, and all that was not even thought of, right? So I used to say, God, I want to encourage other people. So I sit in my room. I say, God, give me a word. You know, here's my friend. I would, I'd, I'd, I'd collect addresses. So I was in the habit of collecting addresses because I want to do minister to people through written word. And I'll get their addresses, and especially if they were in other cities, friends. And then I would write letters. I would pray, say, God, give me a word. And be a verse of scripture. I write it, I explain it, I post it to them. Just bless people through letters. And then uh, when I went into college, I started writing three-page articles. And those days, we used to cyclostyle, you know. For those of you who are old enough to remember that. You know? <laughs> there were no Xerox machines yet. So we had to type it on a stencil, manually make copies. And we used to uh, cyclostyle and give it out. And so it was like about, you know, any, every month I would distribute 100 of those copies, uh, write those messages. Then when I went to uh, graduate studies, and, you know, the computers came and all of that. I, I used to write these uh, six pages now, slowly grew to six pages. I would send it off to the printer. We had a mailing list. And uh, I, 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 we had a printer here in Bangalore who would print it and distribute it. And there were people today you know, who can remember, hey, I used to get your letters back then. I was in college, but it was a little ministry I was doing, and the, the mailing list grew to, I don't know how many hundreds we had, but that was just, it just growing. And then when we came back inside the church, now, now we write books, and now they're a little longer, <laughs> bigger, and, and now it's, the volume is slightly more, it's tens of thousands. But what I want to say is, I didn't just wake up one morning and start writing books like this. I go back and I say, look, you know, when I was writing letters to encourage friends, I think it was a small gift and a grace that I had. That I just used it in that whatever way I could at that time. And today, it's a different level. But God honors faithfulness. When we were in Chicago, we were serving under a pastor. It was a small church. We intentionally chose a small church. There were many big churches, well-known churches right in that area where we were living. But we chose to go to a small church. And in that church, my responsibility was to put out chairs and pack them up. So I did that. And mop the floor. Now, outside the church, I had a big ministry. And I used to go preach in crusades and all. But when I came to that church, I came to support the pastor. And I said, whatever he tells me, I will do. And what I was doing inside the church was mopping the floor and putting the chairs. I couldn't teach children's church. They scared me. <laughs> I couldn't handle children. So I tried once. <laughs> but at least mopping the floor, arranging chairs was easier. That's what I did inside the church. But when I went outside, I would travel, preach, do meetings, crusades. People come do, here to listen. But in that church, I served under another man. Because I understood God's principle. That when you are faithful in what is another man's, he will give you your own. That's God's principle. Amen? So there are principles of increase. So the point I want to say is this, that to each one of us, there is grace and there is gifting. And you can increase, you be faithful in that grace, gifting, and function that you have in the body, and God will increase it. God will cause it to, to, to multiply and increase, and you and I can do that. Let's move on. Verse A, therefore he says, when he, so now Paul is going to tell us, when did Christ begin to dispense gifts? Therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Now this 
he, des- he descended, he ascended. What does it mean? But he also first descended to the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Now, let's try to understand that. He says in verse 8 that when he ascended, so as Jesus moved up into heaven, he died, cruci- he was crucified, he buried, he was rose up, he ascended. And when the church was established, around that time is when he began to dispense gifts to men. He gave gifts to men. And then Paul interweaves something that's not necessarily in the context, but he says, by the way, I also want you to know this, that when he ascended, he led captivity captive. So he took cap- some people with him. What is he talking about? Now, up until the time of Christ's crucifixion, whenever people in the Old Testament time prior to that died, they would either, they would go to what was called as Hades. It was in the lower parts of the earth. And Hades had two compartments. There was what was called as paradise or Abraham's bosom. Then there was a great gulf and then there was a place of torment. So some of you know the story of the rich man and Lazarus. When both of them died, the rich man ended up in the place of torment, but Lazarus ended up in Abraham's bosom. Now when Jesus was dying and the thief on his side, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. So what happened when Christ died, he went down into paradise, Abraham's bosom, the place under Hades, the compartment in Hades that were whole, was, was a holding place for all the righteous Old Testament saints. He went down there. But when he ascended, he took that entire compartment, paradise, with him and he moved it up into heaven. So paradise today is no longer in Hades, it's been relocated into heaven. That's why when Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, I was caught up into paradise, into the third heavens. Or in Revelation chapter 2, he says, whoever overcomes, he will be with me in paradise. So today paradise is in heaven. So Paul is just interjecting his, his, his writing with that insight, saying, look, when Christ ascended, he did this. He took the Old Testament saints with him. He relocated them into heaven. And today when any person, any believer in Jesus dies, he goes up into heaven. He doesn't go down into paradise. You go up, right? So we go to be with the Lord in heaven. And so that's what he's saying. But the point here is this. He's saying when Christ ascended, he began to dispense gifts unto men. Now, What about the women? Verse 8 there, the word men, the Greek word is anthropos. It's a gender neutral word. It's what we would, in English, we would say mankind, which use it in gender neutral. It simply means people. It's the same word that's used, for instance, in Matthew 4 and verse 4, where the Bible says, man shall not live by bread alone. That word man is anthropos. It doesn't, you know, if men live by bread, what do the women live by, you know? Now, it means man, human people, (laughs) man shall not live by bread alone, right? So it's the same word. So the point I want you to make is that when Christ ascended and he dispensed gift, he gave it to people. It's gender neutral. It's not only to male. He gave it to men and women. Are you with me? So both men and women are gifted by these gifts that Christ has given. Amen. So now he begins to talk about these gifts. In verse 7 he said, grace and gift is given to everyone. In verse 11 he begins to talk about something else. He says in verse 11, and to some. So this is different from verse 7. In verse 11 he saying, and to some he gave. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. 
So now he's saying this particular list of gifts, he mentions five of them, are given not to everyone, that's in verse 7, but these five gifts are given to some. So just for our, you know, in, uh, in church language, we call these fivefold offices or fivefold ministries or fivefold functions because there are five, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. And these functions are given to select people, men and women. Are you with me? He gives it to select people. Now, let's just a one-liner on each of these. Uh, an apostle uh, is a sent one, and, he, and I'm just giving a one-liner based on what we see in the New Testament here. An apostle is basically a pioneer and a builder. He opens up new territory for the expansion of the kingdom of God, and he's focused on building, establishing kingdom. Maybe one day we'll talk in detail about apostolic ministry. Uh, the second one, the prophetic, is basically somebody who hears from God and he brings a now word for people or for communities. He hear, hears from God. Uh, the pastor uh, the, is somebody who shepherds God's people. He establishes community uh, and, and establishes body life, helps believers, nurtures believers together as a community, he shepherds God's people. The teacher is one who establishes people in the word of God. He teaches God's word and establishes them the truth. The evangelist is a proclaimer of good news. His focus is on proclaiming the gospel and winning souls into the kingdom. Just one line definitions of each of these fivefold ministries. There's a, there's, there's a lot more you can see. Uh, what else we can see in the New Testament is that people can function in more, more than one of these officers. For instance, Paul, he, was, uh, he functioned all five of these. Uh, at, any, uh, at some point, he was also pastoring various churches he planted, but most of the time he was functioning the other four. He was an apostle, prophet, pastor, uh, a teacher, and an evangelist to proclaim the gospel. So you can find that people will function in one or more of these giftings or functions. Now, what I want us to understand as we look at the history of the church, in the first 400 years, you saw these five ministry functions in the body functioning powerfully. Then for a thousand year period in the dark ages from 8400 to about 1400, these functions were lost. They were almost non-existent in the church. But beginning with the Reformation around 1400 uh, with, with Martin Luther, and uh, uh, God began to bring truth back to the church, restore the church, bring the uh, church back up to where it should be. And after all of that, we also see the restoration of these fivefold functions. So typically in church settings or in the in christendom you will find people talking about the restoration of the fivefold offices and this is what you will hear and uh, just for us to understand that in the 1950s the office of the evangelist was restored to the church the reason we pick a particular decade is because that particular decade we saw the recognizing of this particular ministry function globally there were many evangelists, healing evangelists begin to emerge in the 1950s. Big names that you and I would know. Oral Roberts, Jill Osborne, um, Billy Graham, and, and, and many healing evangelists and others uh, came up in, uh, from the 1950s onwards. In the 1960s, the office of the teacher was restored to the church. So now people began to teach the Bible. Uh, in the in 70s, the office of the pastor was restored. Uh, it was beginning to recognize globally. And the 1980s, the office of the prophet. And in the 1990s, the office of the apostle was all restored to the church. Are you with me? It's just looking at what God has been doing in the church. Now, here's the thing. If you and I were living in the dark ages, anywhere in that thousand year period, and if you told somebody that there's coming a time when the church of Jesus Christ is going to know the word of God, is going to worship God in spirit and truth, and they're going to be spiritual believers, and there are going to be apostles and prophets, they'll laugh at you. 
Because all at that time, all that they had at that time are all these wonderful cathedrals, priests appointed by the Roman government, by the state, and where liturgy was di- dictated by the emperor who was in charge. So there was no sense of worshipping in the spirit. There was no sense of, you know, apostle, prophet, nothing. Non-existent. But look where the church is today. Everything's changed. What a work God has done. Amen? He's brought us all in. So, these fivefold functions are still operative in the church. Here's another thing. Each of these fivefold functions will reproduce in the people after their own kinds. They will reproduce after their own kind. Now, let's, let, let me let's just hold that thought. Let's go to the next verse. Ephesians 4.12. Why are these fivefold offices in the church? Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So why did Jesus put the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist in the church? Why did he put them there? So that everybody else can send their offerings to them? No. The reason he put these fivefold offices is so that they can equip the saints, believers, for the work of the ministry. So now I have a question here. Who is going to do the work of the ministry? Who? Let's try the people here. (laughs) Who is going to do the work of the ministry? People. The believers. Right? So it's not that the apostle is going to do the work of the ministry, the prophet, the pastor. That's not what they're going to do. These fivefold offices are to equip the saints, meaning equip believers so that believers can do the work of the... So say this with me. I'm a minister of God. I have a ministry. I am in full-time ministry. You see, there is no such thing as part-time believers. If you don't have part-time believers, you cannot have part-time ministry. Because if you're a believer, you're also a minister. Amen? Now, I understand that when people say part-time ministry, they mean to say, I give a few hours a week to do ministry. I understand that. But I'm just joking here. That, you know, we're all ministers all the time. That's it. We are believers. Every believer is called to do the work of the ministry. And the purpose of these fivefold offices is to equip believers. So from this day onwards, you cannot just be a church attender. You're not allowed to. You cannot be just a church member. You are a minister of God. God has a ministry for you. And the reason you come to church is for you to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. You don't come to church to sit and be blessed. This happens on the side. <laughs> you come to church to be equipped to do the work of the... Now that, and that doesn't mean that we should all quit whatever profession or vocation and go to Bible college. That's not the point. The point is, wherever God has called you, wherever God has placed you, whatever vocation, whatever gifting, whatever grace that God has put on your life, that is a channel through which you release ministry. Or it may come through it, it may come alongside with it, whatever. However God wants to do it, let Him do it. But in aside from what you do for a living, there is a ministry on your life, for your life. That's the Bible. Amen? My work is a little easier. I just have to equip you. <laughs> it's okay. right? So, the role of the pastor, the teacher, is to equip believers so that they can do the work of the... I want to say one more thing here. Thank God for the ministry team that we have here at All People's Church. We have several pastors and people are flowing in different areas of gifting and calling. But what I want to encourage you to do 
is to learn to receive from all the ministers that God has placed in the body of Christ. Are you with me? Don't just say, you know, I'll listen only to pastors. You know, it's very nice to hear that, but that's very wrong. You've got to listen to all, I mean, not all, but as many as you possibly can, to many of the people in different functions that God has placed in the church. Church meaning the global body of Christ. You've got to do that. You've got to learn to receive. Every ministry will reproduce after its own kind, as I mentioned earlier. The apostle will reproduce the apostolic in people. He will motivate people to become pioneers. He will motivate people to go out and, and to step into new territory. He will reproduce after his own kind. The prophet will help God's people be prophetic. The pastor will help God's people be pastoral, caring and, uh, and ministering to one and each other. The teacher will help God's people understand the truth so that they can then explain and teach others. The evangelist will reproduce himself, his ministry in the hearts of people. Moving them to be passionate winners of souls. Are you with me? Every ministry will reproduce after its own kind. And so we must learn to receive all of this personally. And God has, Christ has placed in the church, in the body, in his body, many in, the, in, in all of these functions. And you pick a few of them and receive through their life. Are you with me? So me personally, I listen. I listen to several ministers of God. I read lots of books. Why? Because I also need to be re receiving. I also need to be ministered to, to keep on growing, keep on learning from other servants of God. Of course, you've got to be careful, as the next few verses will tell us. You've got to be careful who you listen to. But pick good people, that establishment of men and women of character, whose life speaks. And, and, and you receive, if you're in doubt, you ask me, but don't send me too many emails, and I can't respond to everyone. <laughs> uh, but ask somebody who can help you, guide you. And, uh, uh, and, and, you know, choose ministers. And thank God, you know, today... Uh, we don't have to bring them to the pulpit here. It's a little expensive. But thank God you have internet, television. You can download their podcasts. You can read their books. So you don't have to have them in person, but you can still receive through their ministries. Are you with me? But I want to encourage you to do that because Christ has placed these gifts in the church. It's only 1230. Uh, let's finish the next few verses. So how long are these ministries going to be there? Uh, verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So how long are these fivefold ministries going to operate? Till we all come to the unity of the so that's still happening, and therefore these fivefold ministries are still there. Some people say, no, they're no longer existent. No, but the scriptures say that he's placed them in the church till we all come to the unity of the faith. So believers need to be equipped today. So those ministries are still functioning. And as many believers begin to do the work of the ministry, the body of Christ will be built up. And God will bring us all to the unity of the faith. He's going to bring us to a place. If we all understand that we all have one, we are one body, one spirit, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. We will understand that we'll come to the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God, we'll understand Jesus better, clearer. And we will grow up to be a perfect man, a mature man. What does it mean to be mature? It means to be Christ-like, to the full measure of the stature of Christ. So what is spiritual maturity? It means to be Christ-like, to grow up to be like Jesus. That's it. Be mature. Be like Jesus. In every area of our lives, we need to grow up to be like Christ. Let's just finish the next few verses. That we no longer be children tossed to and fro, 
carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So, he's warning us here. You know, children can easily be waved by all these things that blow through the church. But if we are mature, we are strong, we are stable, we know how not, not to be easily moved by winds of doctrine. There are all kinds of ideas blowing through the church these days. And so if we, met, we grow up and are equipped properly and we are growing up properly, we will not be easily tossed to and fro by these different winds of doctrine. So that's where this warning comes. When I encourage you to listen to many ministers of God, which you should do, you also need to be careful who you listen to, right? Don't just go there tomorrow and sit in front of God till the morning till evening. Pastor said, listen to everybody. <laughs> no, that's not what I'm saying. You know, uh, pick good people, right? Uh, and who will build you up. If you're in doubt, you're most welcome to check with somebody else and, and, and clarify. But So you've got to be careful of every wind that blows through, so you don't want to be tossed about it. Verse 15, two things he says you must do. Speak the truth in love and grow up in all things to be like Christ. So speak the truth, but speak it in love. So we must learn to do that. Yes, we need to speak the truth, but speak it gently. Speak it in a way that people can receive it. Speak, speak it in a way that people are given room to, you know, think through and understand and embrace the truth. Don't, you know, put it down hard and fast and beat people with it. Speak the truth in love. And he says we must grow up in all things. Every area of life, we must grow up to be like Christ. See, here's one thing you and I should never do. Never compare yourself with somebody else. With another believer. Because you'll always come out better. Right? <laughs> you'll say, hey... He speaks five lies a week. I only speak two. I'm better. No, don't compare yourself with another believer. Compare yourself with the standard that is with Jesus. And anything that you see in your life that's not up to who Christ is, you say, God, change me. God, work in my life. It's foolishness to start comparing ourselves with one another. Don't do that. We are to grow up in all things to be like Compare yourself with how am I? Am I being Christ-like? If I'm not, I need to pray and say, God, that's an area of my life. I need to change. God, show me how to change. Holy Spirit, work in me. Speak into me so I can change. Last, verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and knit together. So from Christ, the whole body is to be kept together. I notice he says, by which every joint supplies. Every joint is going to do its part. All of us have to do our part. According to the effective working by which every part does its share. The body is going to be effective in its working. It's going to be strong. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be energetic in its working when every part does its share. And this will cause the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. How is the body going to grow when every joint and every part is doing its share? See, you are important to the body. Going back to what he already told us, every one of us is given grace and gift. And it's important for all of us to use our grace and gift and to grow in it and function in it so that the body, the church, can grow. Amen? It can grow, edify itself in love, in an atmosphere of love. Amen? So from this moment on, you have been ordained a minister. You are a minister. You have a ministry. Every one of us, you have a ministry. Now, you may have started, you may not have started, you're still discovering, all that is fine. But God has gifted you, God has graced you, there's a work for you to do in the body. And when all of us do our part, the church will grow. Not only a local church, but the body of Christ. Amen? So let's rise to our feet, we're going to close. I know we're well over time, 
But in the good old days, services used to be four hours. <laughs> Thank God, it's like 50%. It's only two hours. <laughs> but let's take a few moments to pray and to say, God, I'm part of this beautiful body. You have given me grace. You have put gift in my life. Help me to use it to cause the body to grow, to bring people in the unity of the faith. And for me personally, to grow to be like Jesus in all things. Holy Spirit, we invite you to stir up every person. Stir up the grace. Stir up the gift in every person. We call forth the work of the ministry that you have for each person, Lord. We call it forth. May each one of us step into it, do it, carry it out. Whatever you've called us to do. May we be fruitful. May we increase in what you've called us to do. May it cause the building up of the church, the body of Christ. Father, I just pray you will powerfully, powerfully empower every person. Let the Holy Spirit work powerfully in everyone. Do amazing things. Through every person, God. Bring forth ministries. Bring forth work. Bring forth, Lord, your work that impacts cities, nations. Let it come forth. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the sweet fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with each one of us always. Amen. Amen. So you are a minister and you have a ministry. Go fulfill it. God bless you. Have a good Sunday. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.